Colors and Scents uh, is the series that we are in concluding today. You can see the rest of the messages online at themovement.church. What does the Bible really have to say about money? And last week, this was the question we asked. We talked about what the Bible has to say about tithing. What's the deal with tithing and giving 10%? And definitely encourage you to to watch that message if you missed it. Heard a lot of good feedback about people being set free and encouraged uh, around what the Bible has to say about tithing and giving out of obligation or giving out of law. Uh, the, the takeaway last week, where we landed, there are two motivations for giving. The law of Moses, the, the laws of the Old Testament, and the grace of God. The former yields a minimum mentality. How much do I have to give? 10% off the gross or the net? What do I have to do? But the latter unleashes extravagant generosity. And that's what we want to see around here at the movement. And so today I'm continuing on uh, with what we talked about last week. And I'm going to answer prayerfully by the time we are finished. Today's tension is simply this. What does biblical extravagant generosity look like? What does biblical extravagant generosity look like? I, I don't want worldly extravagant generosity I don't want generosity to necessarily get something in return or your hopes to manipulate God by your giving or your hopes to make things right with God. Well, I had a bad year and so let me put some money in the bucket to hopefully keep the slate clean. What are the motivations for biblical extravagant generosity? And before jumping into our text today, I just wanna give us two reasons really quickly why we should be interested. Why should you care in the middle of the Christmas season about what biblical extravagant generosity looks like? Ed, I got bigger things to worry about. Uh, Well, here's one reason why this matters. I think you want to have a reputation for being generous, not stingy. My mom said amen. Anyone else? Love my mom. My mom right in here saying amen. Any else, anybody else? You want to be generous, not stingy? Don't be stingy with your amens in this place. Come on. And so I think whether you're a Christian or not, some of you, you may be an atheist in this room. I don't believe the God thing. I just heard there were a lot of singles at the movement. That's why I'm here. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know what your situation is. But whether you love God or not, know God or not, I know that when your funeral is had and people are telling testimonies about you, you want it to be said about you that you were generous. I don't know if anyone would stand up joyfully and say, no, 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 Ed, not me. When I pass away, I want them to say about me that I was stingy that I was tight with my money and I died with thousands and millions and whatever in my bank account, but no one ever received or experienced generosity with me. I don't think we want that to be our legacy. And so I think we should pay attention to what the Bible has to say about extravagant generosity so we we can die with such a legacy, being known as generous. Now, um... I know there are some stingy people in the room today. I'm not going to have you say amen, but uh, 
let me help unpack for some of you, and you're mad at me right now. It's okay. I love you. Uh, why you're stingy? Because you may not know. I'm going to help us here. Number one, you're selfish. Like, you live for you. You live for your bills. You live for your children. You live for your satisfaction. You live for your comfort. And though you may see needs around you, you would say to yourself, well, I had to work and I had to do this to get to myself and my family to where I am. If other people uh, would, would work harder and, and do what I did, maybe they could be where I am. And so you are all about you. And that's why you are stingy. Another reason why you might be stingy is because you are driven by fear. You worry, I can't give because $2 minus $2 from me and $2 into your pocket means two less dollars that I have. And, and, and how am I going to take care of me if I'm taking care of you? Because maybe you're not convinced that God is the one taking care of you. Uh-oh. You've got to be so committed to taking care of you because you don't believe that God's taking care of you. So you're living in fear. And that's another thing. I don't think any of you would want as your, your funeral goes on, man, that person, oh, Edward, he was the most fear-driven person I knew. Every decision he made, it was rooted in the fear of whether or not he would be okay. And maybe when we look at it that way, we would say to ourselves, man, I wouldn't want people to say that about me, fear-driven. But sometimes the truth will set us free. Maybe some of you in the room, you would just admit, man, selfish, I'm, I'm fear-driven. Another thing about stinginess, man, it's just not attractive. Someone say amen to that. I mean, when someone's stingy, because we all know in the group of friends, right, you got the one that never wants to pay for everybody, right? Always the last one to pull out the car. You got the group of friends and there's a couple of you quick to it, fighting over it, and there's one like just expecting, entitled to the fact that you always pay or he always pays or whatever. Like that's just unattractive. And to my single folks in particular, just trying to help you out, that ain't helping your cause. Let me just tell you, you're stingy. I don't know if that's helping your cause at all. I think generosity is an attractive quality. Someone say amen. And then last but not least, this is for the Christians in particular. And I don't feel bad about coming real hard on this one. If you're a Christian, where are the Christians at? Say amen. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, to be stingy is to not be a follower of Christ. So, so if we are to be followers of Christ, we are to be generous as Christ has been generous. And so you just might need to reevaluate your Christianity, not, not that you're saved by your generosity, but the generosity of Christ may not have landed on your heart if you are stingy.
And so you might just say a prayer even now as you look at this. God, would you forgive me? God, would you release me? Some of you right now in the quiet of your own heart, God, this is me. And I don't want it to be me in light of what you've done for me. So God, would you help me? And so that's my burden. I don't want a stingy, I don't, you don't want to die stingy. And then here, let me just say this here. Second reason, let me keep it moving. You guys are all messed up now. Um, I want our church to have a reputation for being generous, not self-serving. Some of you have maybe been a part of churches that have been self-serving. The talk was about raising money for, for all the needs that, that they had and building their buildings and doing their campaigns and nothing about wrong about building buildings and all of that. Don't hear. But, but I don't want to be known primarily as a church that was just living for itself. Does that make sense? I want to be a church that was more compassionate for, determined to love the people outside of the walls. The church is one of the few organizations that exist primarily for the people who are not yet a part of it. Did you hear that? We exist for people who are not yet here. And so we need to be generous towards that end. And so uh, but what I love, uh, what I love to say is, you know, we are a generous church. We have become a generous church. And I want us to give glory to God, to give yourselves a round of applause for the generosity in this church. I want to thank you. Many of you are generous. The internal giving in our church, money given from the inside has gone up every single year. This church has given more. You have given more not only monetarily, but you've given of yourselves. So many of you partnered with Denise uh, and do partner with Denise in the monthly feeding she has and the Thanksgiving. And where's Denise at? Where's Denise at? Denise, would you stand for just a moment? Let's give Denise a big round of applause. She has an organization, has the longest name in the universe. I believe it's Hands of Love and Caring Hearts. Yes, hands of love and caring hearts. And she uh, serves the homeless in our community. Many of you have partnered with her. And don't you have a Christmas event coming up? 22nd, and and we'll put that on the Facebook group. Uh, But if you want to get with Denise to give uh, on the 22nd, many of you do that. And then yesterday, I got a picture of what we did yesterday. We partnered with our mayor, Libby Schaff. That's her. That's actually, we didn't crop her in. That is actually... Mayor Libby Schaff, we partnered with her to do her annual Mayor's Community Toy Drive. And it it was just so cool to receive an email from the city to say, we love and thank you for what you've been doing in the city. And we want to invite you to help us again at this toy drive. And we represented for Oakland. um, And so we are a generous church. I just want us to continue to steward the gift of generosity. Amen? All right. So... What does biblical extravagant generosity look like? Today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. So I want to encourage you to maybe pull out your phones. If you got your Bible app to follow along, I'm going to go verse by verse. And uh, the verses will be up on the screen. And in this text, what we see is a case study in extravagant generosity. And my hope, is by looking at this case study of what generosity looked like in the early church, 
we can maybe see some transferable principles, some characteristics that we would want to follow in uh, to have a similar impact. And so let me set up the scene really quick in 2 Corinthians. What the, the letter of Corinthians, both 1 and 2, it's a letter by the Apostle Paul. This was a guy who was a murderer of Christians. He murdered Christians. He was there standing as approving of Stephen as Stephen got martyred, the first Christian martyr, he was stoned. Paul, formerly known as Saul, was approving this murder. He was a bad guy. And God saved him miraculously. God opened up his eyes to the grace of Jesus Christ. And what Saul, his name would then become Paul, what he would go on to do is plant churches all around the Mediterranean rim. He was just so overjoyed with what God had done in him. He said, I need to spread this good news. Those disciples, they couldn't get the early church outside of Jerusalem. We give a lot of props to the disciples and, and they did some great things. But if the truth be told, they could not get the gospel outside of Jerusalem. But when Paul comes onto the scene, he is the one, really, as a church today, our salvation, our understanding of Jesus is uh, primarily because Paul went out and planted these churches. And so he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, and that's what 2 Corinthians is. Corinth is in modern-day Greece, and so he's writing to the church there. This was a church that was dysfunctional in many, many ways. So the church that was having issues. But in this portion of the letter, he is attempting to raise money. So the context of, of this, these verses are exactly what's happening here. Because he was raising money from the church at Corinth for the church in Jerusalem, the very first church. So he was raising money from the church in Corinth to the church in Jerusalem but to raise that money, he starts talking about the churches in Macedonia. Are you guys following me? He's writing to the church in Corinth, modern day Greece. He's trying to raise money for Jerusalem. And in his attempt to raise money for the church of Jerusalem, he is telling a story about the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia include the church at Thessalonica. Everyone say Thessalonica. That's a cool name for a place. That's where the book Thessalonians comes from. It's a letter to the church of Thessalonica. It's uh, the Macedonian churches were not only Thessalonica, but the church at Philippi. Everyone say Philippi. What book was written to the church at Philippi? Philippians, very good. And then the last church in uh, the Macedonian churches was the church at Berea. Berea, so there were three churches that Paul is referencing to try to encourage the church at Corinth to give to the church at Jerusalem. If you're okay, say, I'm okay. You're not, but it's okay. We'll move into the text. So what we're going to see through this story are 10 characteristics of biblical extravagant generosity. I've got 10 characteristics. Everyone say 10. It's a 10-point message. Spencer loves 10-point messages. Buckle in, Spence. You're in for a ride. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here we go. This is going to be fun. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. What? Ed using the color green? What? I'm used to yellow and blue. What does green mean? 
Green is for grace. Green is serious. Green is for what is at the bottom. This is what we learned last week. At the bottom of extravagant generosity, at the end of the day, it's a grace of God. Everyone say grace of God. So we want you to know, brothers, about this grace that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, the one at Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. We want to tell you about this grace that's on this group of churches. It goes on to say, for in a severe test of affliction, they were going through some issues. They were hard pressed on every side. They had obstacles in their life. Their abundance of joy, how often do you see that? In their affliction, there was abundance of joy. And their extreme poverty, not only were they hard-pressed on every side, but they had money problems. They were dirt poor. This Greek word here, doing some study on it, extreme poverty, it's like Jacques Cousteau-type poverty. Depths of the sea. He was someone who would dive to the depths of the sea And it's a Greek word that refers to like the depths of the sea. This was dirt poor. These churches in Macedonia were dirt poor. They had very little. They were uh, facing affliction. But they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's otherworldly. This is not normal. Biblical extravagant generosity. I'm going to move right to it. The first characteristic, it's despite your poverty. Poverty does not prevent generosity in the scriptures. Poverty does not prevent generosity. It almost seems like poverty was something they gave from. They gave from their poverty. And so some of you right now, as it relates to this offering, you're thinking to yourself, but I'm broke and I don't have very much. Well, biblical extravagant generosity would say you are perfectly positioned to be generous this Christmas season. Despite your poverty, let's continue on. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. We'll get to the of their own accord in just a second, but I want to make the next point from according to their means and beyond their means. So these people were in poverty, yet they gave more than what was comfortable. Someone say, wow. Yeah, yeah, that should have been your response. Wow. Now, don't, don't, I just feel it in the room. You're trying to guilt us. No, I'm just telling you what they did. I'm just telling you what they did. They were broke. They were the Macedonian churches and they were broke. They were hard pressed, yet they gave beyond what was comfortable. So here's the second characteristic. It's contrary to ability. Sometimes, right, the the words that we so often say, I can't. I can't, I just can't do that, I just can't. Well, I think they did even though they couldn't. It's beyond their means. Now, I know some of you, I can hear it here. Well, you want me to go in debt to give? No, careful, careful, I'm not done yet. But just just consider that biblical generosity 
might be uncomfortable, might be contrary to what you can fathom yourself doing. At least this was the case with the church in Macedonia. If you're okay, Sam, okay? Okay, let's keep it rolling. Of their own accord, I want to repeat that, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is otherworldly. That would be like some of the most impoverished people in our church saying, I know I have needs, but can I give to be generous too? Please, 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 I, I know I have some needs. I might even make a request, but I, I have to give to be generous myself. I've got to get in on this action because I re, uh, realize there's a favor in taking part in this. What kind of community is this? Broke, poor, pressed in on every side. And so I want to add this though. On their own accord, begging us earnestly, the next point I want to make, 10 characteristics, it's eager, not obligated. They were eager to do it. If you feel any sense of obligation to give, now it's kind of hard to determine. Is this obligation I'm feeling or conviction, right? You guys hear what I'm saying? Because some of you are going to see, oh, I'm not supposed to be obligated? Oh, yes, I don't have to give. I don't know. Might be the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not me trying to obligate you to give. You have to figure that out for yourself. And I trust that the Holy Spirit can reveal what the difference between obligation and conviction is. You following me? But we don't want anyone giving out of obligation. Don't give out a guilt. Don't give out a, oh, I, you know, it. hopefully you, you feel an eagerness. Let's keep going. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, this is, okay, this is the secret sauce here. How? How how did they do this? They gave more than they could. They were eager to do it. They were impoverished. How did they do this? If you fall asleep to this point, please wake up. This was very important. Not as we expected, but they gave themselves, everyone say, first to the Lord. Say, first to the Lord. Say, first to the Lord. And then, see, First to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves to God first, and in giving themselves to God first, they were able to give to us by the will of God second. First to God. You got to give to God first. And you got to give yourself to God first. Uh, Kent Hughes, in a commentary that helps me understand this stuff, he says it this way. This is by far the most important thing about the Macedonians. When we know that our lives are not our own, neither will we think our possessions are our own. It's easy to surrender part when we've already given the whole. That's good. It's easy to surrender part when we've already given the whole. For those of you who are struggling with generosity, your struggle is much greater than generosity. Your struggle is with surrender to Almighty God. Because when you surrender your life to Almighty God, any piece of your life is already God's. 
We're not even talking about money at this point, friends. The question is, are you surrendered to God? Have you given your life to God? Not my will, but your will be done. Because then when God says, okay, I I am convicting you to give $20, $10, $100, $5,000, whatever it might be, well, I've already given you everything, so this is just a part of the whole. Does this help anybody? Uh, I, I, I kind of said it in less words here on the next slide. You'll be reluctant to give your stuff to others if you've yet to give yourself to God. Once we've given ourselves to God, our stuff becomes secondary. Our possessions become secondary. So once again, Not to lay guilt on you. This is just to show you what was at the bottom of this church who was giving out of their minds. Like no one should be giving like that with the situation that they're in. But maybe, just maybe, it was because they had given themselves to God first and then they gave to the church. All right, let's continue on. So biblical generosity is despite your poverty, it's contrary to ability, it's eager, not obligated, and it's directed by God. They gave themselves to God and then they gave to them, the other church, as a result of the will of God. It's directed by God. All right, what happens next? Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. There's grace again. Grace is at the bottom of this thing, and they're, they're reaching out to another pastor, Titus, to complete among you the work that started, because they had reached out to the church at Corinth before to say we're taking up this offering, and now they're completing the offering. Let's see what it says next here. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what's going on here? What Paul is doing is he's affirming all the qualities that the church at Corinth has. He's saying, you guys are excelling in your faith. You've got big faith. You've got great speech. You're an encouraging people. You're a knowledgeable people. But don't just excel in those things, he's saying to the church at Corinth. He's saying, excel in the act of grace, which is giving as well. Kent Hughes, more commentary on this. This is good stuff. There is no way to grow in spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. So there was sanctification, becoming more like Christ that the church at Corinth was going through. They were becoming more like Christ. And what Paul writes to this church is he says, you need to add to all these other gifts. You need to excel in the grace that is being generous. And it is a sign of your spiritual maturity. As stated here, Um, it's a sign of maturity. It's not only directed by God and all these other things, it's a sign of maturity. If you are having hard time with generosity, you are an immature believer of Jesus Christ. Just gonna say that one more time. In love, I'm your loving shepherd. You love me, right? I love you, we still good? Probably not, but it's okay. 
Thank you, thank you. How many of you want to say, I want to be a baby, immature Christian for the rest of my life? No. We want to be mature. How many of you want your children to be as immature as they are now? Come on, somebody, parents. Oh, that hits you now in the heart, huh? You don't want your kids to remain as immature as they are. Sorry, mom and dad, I'm having a hard time, but you know. You want them to mature in the same way that you want your kids to mature. You would want your kids to mature. I want, God wants you to mature. Well, the way you mature is you let go of what's already God's. You give. And so it's a sign of your spiritual maturity. Let's keep it moving. Is this helping anybody? Good. Now, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I want to talk about the church at Macedonia and how their love is being expressed through gratitude because I want your love to be genuine as well. So here's the next point. We're moving quickly here. Biblical generosity, despite your poverty, contrary to ability, eager, not obligated, directed by God. It's a sign of maturity and it's an authentication of your love. And you know this in relationships. An authentication of love is service, is giving. And so the way we authenticate our love for God and our love for others is through generosity. Amen? All right, let's continue on. Seven points, three more to go. Here it is again. This is the centerpiece here, uh, which I'll come back to at the end of the message, but it's incredible, this gem that you've maybe heard out of context before. You've heard this verse before, but now you know, wow, this is in that letter to the church at Corinth where he's talking to the church about the churches of Macedonia. This is where this gem of a verse is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Christmas story right here. Edward, why don't we have a Christmas series? Okay, right here, Christmas series, Christmas message. For your sake, he became poor. How did he become poor? He became a baby. He became a human. It doesn't get much more poor than baby human in a trough. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for our sake, he let go of that, um, of that, riches in heaven of being at the right hand of God and he let go of that and he descended down born of a virgin so that we might become rich that we might become rich in grace so we might become rich in salvation that we might become rich in mercy this is our Lord Jesus Christ and this is at the center Matthew Henry about this he says for this is a good reason why we should be charitable to the poor out of what we have because we ourselves Live upon the charity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living and breathing because God was charitable towards us through the person of Jesus Christ. No amens there? Come on. Without the charity of God, the generosity of God, you would be separated from him right now. But because of his generosity, because of his charity, we have life and life more abundantly. And so uh, the next point I make here is motivated by Jesus. 
Ultimately, it's what we see in Jesus and how Jesus has loved us that compels us to give. And that's what's going on in the Macedonian church. And that's what I want to happen in us. In response to what Jesus has done for us, charity towards us, I'm going to have charity towards others. A couple more points and we are out of here. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago, everyone say a year ago, started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He's yearning. This is actually, I think he says, this is the the only place where there's a, a command to the actual church at Corinth. It's to finish what you started. And so that is this next aspect, this next characteristic of biblical generosity. It's sealed by completion. Man, I want to be a church that that finishes what it starts. I want to be a person that when I, I turn in this commitment card, me and my wife, we are going to participate and turn in our commitment cards of what we're going to give in 2019. I wanted to be the type of person, let my yes be yes, let my no be no, that I give what I say I was going to give. That I do what I say I was going to do. And I just want to encourage us as a community, as we think about specifically, as we think about what we're going to do next year. Let's complete what we start. I think this is the last point here. For if the readiness is there, oh no, two more points. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Oh, this is important. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Because maybe you're thinking up until this point, right? These Macedonians, they were crazy. What, what, What the heck was going on? There was a tempering here by what they had, not according to what they did not have. Maybe a modern day translation. They weren't giving on credit cards. Come on, somebody. Okay? They weren't giving on credit cards. I've told the story, but I I was giving out of just prosperity mentality. I literally wrote a check for money I did not have. What was I thinking? I did not have the money in the bank. Why am I writing a check to give? That's called foolishness. Someone say, Ed, that was foolish. It was foolish. Don't do that. Don't give money you don't have. Now, that's also not saying don't give money you might be uncomfortable not having. See the distinction? You can't give money you don't have, but you can give money you might be uncomfortable not having. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) All right. So what's that ninth point there? Nine points. I love nine points. Proportionate to means. That's why we can all participate in this. That's why the story of, of the widow giving two mites was so powerful because she gave disproportionate to her means. God was most impressed with the, the widow who gave the two little pennies. Why? Because that represented everything she had. So it's not the amount that counts. It's the proportion to what you have that matters most. Amen? So if you're on a salary and you, of, of whatever, you only make whatever, 5000 10000 12000 a year, and you're on government, assistance, whatever it might be, you give pro- proportionate to what you have. And those of you who have more, you give proportionate to what you have. 
Sometimes large gifts from people who have a lot really don't mean anything because the person who has a lot isn't even feeling it. I'm not impressed with an amount. I'm impressed with the proportion to what you have. And it doesn't matter what I'm impressed with. This is what God is honoring. This is what God looks at. So according to what they had, how many of you are thankful that that we could all participate in this, right? We could all participate. We could all be a blessing by participating in this. And then last but not least, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, okay? This is not so that you guys have nothing, right? And just so the church of Jerusalem is just living large while you guys are just having the hardest time but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. And it's crazy because that that was my dream for this Be Generous campaign. That those who have a lot, a little bit more during this season can provide for those who might not have as much so that everyone can have enough. But maybe some of you who are receiving from this offering this year, maybe next year you're going to be able to give to it. And every year, regardless of where people are in our church, everyone will have enough. Does that make sense? And this was represented in the last, uh, represented, represented in the last verse here of the text. As it is written, for example, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever whoever gathered little had no lack. He's referencing the verse in Exodus here, the time when the Israelites were waiting for the manna to fall, and they would gather it every single day. And what he's saying is there were those who would gather too much, but they'd have nothing left over. And there would be those who would gather uh, little, but they would be able to get from those who had much and everyone had enough. What a vision. And that's my vision here at the movement for what generosity might look like. The way that this could be said as the 10th and final characteristic is everyone has enough. Biblical generosity is everybody having enough. Now let's just look at these characteristics for a moment. Can you imagine being a community of faith And I want to point to two things in particular. Should have highlighted these. One, because we're directed by God. Because we've given ourselves to God first, our whole lives, including our finances, our sexuality, our, our job, our family, our kids. Because we've given everything, our savings account, our insurance policies, we've given everything to God. It's yours. So now I can be directed by you, your will, not my will, because I've already given you all of me. Imagine us becoming a community that's directed by God because we've given ourselves to God first. And then secondly, motivated by Jesus. We see what Jesus has done for us in becoming poor and coming down to this earth so that we could become rich. And so here's the takeaway for today, the sermon in a sentence, and I I ripped this off in large part uh, from a commentary, Um, so just letting you know, (laughs) this is not original to me. The quantity of our giving will match the quality of our changed hearts. It's a heart that is changed 
by surrendering your life to God. It's a heart that is changed by seeing what God did for us through the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know what? This might not help the offering at all, but, but I would say this. Man, I want you to give out of a changed heart. I want you to give because your heart is changed. And I don't know, for maybe some of you, like the act of giving will change your heart. But if there's a bitterness, but there's an anger, but if Jesus isn't beautiful to you, as much as my flesh wants to say give anyway, don't give. Don't give. They, they actually, one of these commentaries said, to give without having your heart being changed by God could actually be detrimental to you. Because you're just giving to get, or you're giving just to make things right, or you're giving because you feel bad. And I think God would say to many of you who might feel that way, like, keep your money. Do you know God doesn't need your money? You know the people in this church, actually, who are submitting financial needs, they don't need your money. What they need is God's provision. And God can provide for their needs without your money. So this isn't about your money. This is about your heart. Who has your heart? I want God to have my heart. Let me just tell you, we're writing a check today that we're not the most comfortable with. I could be putting this towards my debt snowball. It's just slowing my debt snowball down a little bit. But I want to say, God, you have my heart though, more than my snowball has my heart. And we're going to still work our plan and we're still getting out of debt. But God, I want you to have my heart. And in what we're going to give next year, God, I just, I'm going to put this amount because I want to continue. I want you to continue to have my heart. I know where my treasure is. There my heart will be also. Your money follows your heart. And so if your money doesn't arrive at the church, to God in any way, shape, or form, don't get it twisted. He doesn't have your heart. bring this verse back up and we'll begin to close. It's grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if there is any condemnation in the room right now, because you know God doesn't have your heart, your hobby has your heart, your fear has your heart, your kid's college fund has your heart, nothing bad with any of I mean, kid's college fund is fine. What has your heart? I want to tell you, I want you to hear above anything else. There is grace. There is grace for our hearts that aren't towards God. There's grace. How many of you are thankful for grace in this place? Jesus came and he was grace in the form of a baby. And that baby would grow up to be the God man, Jesus Christ. He would live a spotless life. He would be generous in every way so that when we make, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his generosity becomes our generosity. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? When God looks down on you right now, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, God sees you clothed in the generosity of Jesus Christ. 
God is looking at me right now and he sees me clothed. My relationship is based with him, not on my generosity, but on Jesus' generosity on my behalf. Just here, here, get your two hands like this and just put the robe on. Put it on. It's kind of cold in here. You are covered in a robe of righteousness. And part of the righteousness of Jesus is his generosity. And so there's no reason to leave here condemned for you not being generous. Because through faith in Jesus, you're forgiven and you're seen as generous as God is. You're seen as generous as Jesus is. Now the challenge is, let's start living already how God sees us. Become the A-plus student that you already are. You're not earning anything by giving today. What you are doing is living in who you already are in Christ. That's incredible. Living in the identity that has already been gifted to me. By not giving, you're living outside of your identity. Let's bow our heads. God, I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would help us to be able to dis- be to help us to to determine the distinction between conviction, Holy Spirit conviction and demonic condemnation in this room today. Lord, help us to see that there is no place in the body of Christ, no place in the life of a believer for condemnation. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, help us to see forgiveness. Help us to see grace. Help us to receive gift righteousness. But Father God, where there is conviction of your Holy Spirit, where there is a sense of selfishness, where there is a sense of you not having their heart, God, I pray for a spirit of repentance in this place. Not just to rush past this moment, but God, would you bring certain people in this room to a place of real repentance, saying, God, I want to turn from my ways of selfishness. I want to turn from my ways of making it about me, myself, and I, my family, our comforts. And I want to make it about whatever you want me to make it about. And so God, as a body of Christ, as a body of believers here at the Movement Church, God, just collectively for all the ways in which we have not lived totally surrendered to you, in all the ways in which I have not lived totally surrendered to you, God, we ask for your forgiveness. And we pray that you would move in our hearts now as we consider what to give to be generous, As we consider what to give in 2019, God, would it be you, your leading? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.